Hi, I'm Chloe Canning. Luminate Leadership acknowledges the traditional custodians on the land which we record this podcast, the Terrible and Yagara people. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. Welcome to Lead with Courage, the podcast that celebrates the bold and inspiring stories of leaders making a difference. We're your hosts, Andy and Cherie Canning, and together we'll dive into the minds of the trailblazers, the risk takers, and those who embrace life with a growth mindset. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Lead with Courage podcast. You've got Andy here, you've got Cherie there, and for those that are on audio right now, you wouldn't be able to see our beautiful faces. Well, one of our faces is beautiful. That's me, of course. And <laughs> um, and the for the others on video, then you're enjoying both of them. So um, feel free to subscribe on our YouTube channel and you can uh, see our faces as well. So anyway, we're here today to talk about a superpower the biggest superpower in the workplace today and and what what will absolutely carry over for the next decade, at least until we re-benchmark and come up with a new superpower or maybe it'll just be this one. But today it is empathy. And um, Shri, you are the empathy queen and, and proudly an empathetic woman and proudly a human. So maybe you can talk to us a little bit about what empathy is. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I don't think uh, the need and the skill of empathy is going anywhere. In fact, I think the the more complicated and uh, challenging this world is, the more and more empathy will come to the forefront. To me, I guess from a definition perspective of empathy, it's all about the ability to see something from someone else's perspective, or as we would more commonly say, is to you know walk in someone else's shoes and, and experience what that is like. Um, for me, I think what I'm saying about the decades and it, it probably won't go anywhere, When you, whenever you look up anything at the moment, like I read a great book recently, Head and Heart Leadership, that was in the four heart criteria of what kind of um, attributes of a great leader. If you read anything from Brene Brown, it's all about empathy. If you look at, you know, Patrick Lencioni talks about hungry, humble, smart, and in that smart being emotional intelligence and that empathy is one of the five elements of emotional intelligence. And not just those experts, but if you speak to Luminate Leadership as well, we agree. I think, you know, emotional intelligence is possibly the most important skill for now and the future of work, especially there's more automation. There's more that, um, that, technology is taking over in our workplaces. So what are we left when the technology takes some of those mundane kind of, um, what would you call them? I guess like transactional jobs in our world, then what are we left with? Humans. And what are human skills is to be able to connect and having emotional intelligence and empathy being a major part of that. Yeah, that's that's really, really well put. And and I'm, I'm grateful actually that we got together um, when we did 12 <laughs> years ago. If I go back on my own empathetic journey, like empathy was not Did you not say something- pathetic journey? pathetic yeah empathetic or pathetic not sure which one um some days one some days the other um but the i look back in in terms of like i guess what you're exposed to in life and behavior that's modeled and Mm. and certainly growing up for me in in my household and um you know through through most of the maybe mentors or role models that i had in life um and parental figures like empathy wasn't really a, a thing like not something that i could not something that was ever spoken about, but even even the way it was acted, like it was very much 
um, certainly in, in my view and, and probably, you know, hence why I kind of came to the workplace, I guess, with a uh, and even the human race with a bit of a shortage of skills when it came to what empathy is. And and if I can talk even a little bit about my own journey there, like it wasn't mm. until I, I read a I read a book, um, I think it was about six years ago now, and, and it explained empathy in just a language that um, for, for those who would have heard other podcasts, you're probably aware by now that I'm more of the left brain side of looking at things. I'm analytical, I'm logical, and it's don't always attach a huge amount of emotion to, to what's happening. So empathy for me was sort of like, I just didn't really understand it, to, to be honest. I didn't really know it was a thing. And I was reading this book in this role that I was doing and, and one of the one of the things we would do a lot was we'd negotiate with suppliers or internal stakeholders in terms of things. And and it was basically like the number one rule of, of negotiation was, was practice empathy. You know, it's not until you can kind of, and bearing in mind this is, you know, a little bit outcome based in terms mm. of we want to get this outcome or we want to achieve this KPI or OKR in our business. So therefore show empathy, but it was a book called never split the difference from an old FBI hostage negotiator, Chris Voss. Chris Voss that's it. Mm. And he talked about tactical empathy. Mm. Now I know that the word tactical attached to empathy is sounds like a little bit of an oxymoron because those more right brain leading and those more naturally empathetic humans like the, like you standing across from me in the screen here, you know, sort of looks at maybe the word tactical and, and just be like, oh, no, like it, it should just, it, you know. It I remember naturally. you. Yeah, I remember you told me that term and I initially was like, what? And I just thought, well, that's so disingenuous. If you've got to be tactical about it, then how are you actually feeling? Um, but I, I've got onto a different perspective from that because it is like you look at that tactical empathy, um, it's almost like, step one of empathy in a way. Um, you know, Daniel Goleman, who who wrote the book on emotional intelligence, literally, um, his word he uses is so similar. And it wasn't until I kind of saw his work and I went, mm, I reckon you're onto something, is um, he calls it cognitive empathy. So it's really just understanding mentally, oh, okay, you must feel this. So that's how you go. Whereas I probably connect to level two and three of empathy, if you like, or style two and three, which is emotional empathy and empathic concern so when someone's hurting I'm hurting um, whereas someone's hurting you go oh they're hurting okay I get that now whereas other people feel the pain with them and there's no wrong or right but I think that's that technical tactical cognitive empathy and you know what if that's all people experience that's still more than uh, sometimes what we see in workplaces and relationships yeah that's it's such a such a good point and it's it's a a difficult you know um string to thread through a needle i think because it wasn't until I, I remember specifically where i was like i was reading that book i was loving it and i was on a, a trip from my old job i was in tasmania and i remember i was driving from bruni island to the middle of hobart to head home and i was listening to daniel goldman's um, interview or podcast or whatever it was via a podcast that he did with Oprah, Oprah where he was talking yeah. about different levels of empathy. And I genuinely like that level one is the most kind of that I, I felt like I could organically experience. So it was very much like, okay, that person looks like they're hurting insert response here. And, and for <laughs> me, that's kind of, it, it sounds so clinical and I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit ashamed of, of saying that that's how I 
I would see the world as a default. It's sort of like, okay, I need to do something. What is it? And, you know, you kind of see it with grief, right? Like some people respond yeah. with just open arms and they lean into the emotion of it. Others withdraw. They don't know what to say. They avoid the person. Others, you know, kind of go go a completely different aspect and they maybe go a bit over the top or they try and fix it or whatever it may be. But Yeah, me, I'd love was, to go into a bit of that in a minute actually. Yeah, yeah. beautiful. Well, yeah, yeah why don't we – no, no, that? but keep going. But for you, like I, but I really, I'm giggling and smiling at you because I, I know this um, experience for you. Yeah. Um, but also it because- was so real and and so profound. Like, you know, just that it's, if I talk about it in a work related sense, or if mm. you're, um, you know, uh, kind of, uh, I guess, talking alongside a client or a supplier or a something like that. And then, you know, they, say something that that's totally I, I don't know maybe it catches you off guard or whatever it may be or but it's a, a moment of vulnerability like I think mm. in the past prior to learning this I, I wouldn't naturally probably react in a in a really empathetic way I'd sort of be dismissive or whatever it may be but it could be something like oh this happened the other day and and now I just know that it triggers a response in me and it's more the, the good news is I, that I think that you can train yourself to to naturally move up the levels and that it happens organically as opposed to it being tactically. But for Mm. some, it might be the place to start where it happens tactically. It's like that person is showing vulnerability. They need emotional support. Okay, this is how I can apply it through empathetic comment here. That sounds like it would be really hard. Are you okay? You know, yeah. like it, it just Thank starts you for sharing there. that with me. Thank you for sharing that. Like there's no fixing, there's no, there's no nothing. It's just creating that safe space for them to say what they are. And I, I sort of, that, that for me now, that's, that's, I'm proud to say that I've done a lot of inner work in order for that to be a natural part of my life now that, that I hopefully don't run away too much from those moments of kind of like where they're a little bit more uncomfortable maybe and you have to lean into the emotion of it to meet someone where they're at. But but the, oh, the first introduction, the tactical empathy, the cognitive empathy, if you will, is for a lot of people maybe that are a little bit more um, emotionally special like me, for example, <laughs> um, that they just, might need maybe to. Maybe they're not just driven through that lens, you know, like yes. that's not the the um, the go-to. It's, yeah, yeah, I, I, I love it and because it's, it is so true and it would be so relevant for so many people. Um, I, I, I've got so many thoughts and ideas and, you know, we talk a lot about empathy in our workshops as part of our emotional intelligence workshop but also a, an out-and-out empathy and, and in a lot of the coaching and things we do as well. But I had a really proud moment yesterday and it was a story you told me and I thought, well, we're doing a good job, I think. You know, we're, we're definitely not perfect. We're not perfect parents but we're on the right track and um, you came home yesterday and and uh, some friends of ours had have had some absolutely tragic, tragic news as a result of this awful war happening in Israel. And um, and we shared it with our daughter, who's almost seven, because it's her friend, her little friend's uncle, um, tragically passed away, was was murdered in this war. And well, you can, you can see who the empath is here, because I can even hardly get those words out. Like it, it's absolutely 
destroying me knowing this pain that this family of friends of ours are going through. And I didn't want to, we didn't want to share too much of it with her because she's so young, but at the same time, just to understand something's going on for her friend. And what did you tell me uh, yesterday? She saw our friends and her little friend and, and the mum. And she, what did she went up and said, I'm really sorry. Is that what, can you tell the story? Cause you were there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she did. She went up and said, Oh, I'm really sorry. Um, then, then she proceeded to talk about how, um, you know, a couple of people have died in her life, such as a hundred year old and a 95 year old. And they were really close to her. And, and that was her, you know, trying to show some maybe empathic concern, um, as well in that way, or maybe but not. More, but more my, my point there is the fact that our almost seven year old unprompted, not so much her then sharing her own <laughs> moments of her grief, which I trauma. thought was very cute. It was very cute to hear that. Um, yeah. But yeah, the story you relayed back to me is that she went up to our friend and she said, I'm really sorry to hear about what's happened in your family. That's really sad. And just the fact that she went and said that unprompted. And then I do love that she wanted her to know that she wasn't alone because <laughs> she proceeded to tell our friends that my dog had recently died. Um, meanwhile, it's my dog from my previous marriage that I haven't seen <laughs> for 15 years. <laughs> And then she's, she proceeds to tell you, Dad, I've had two people close to me die. And you said, oh, have you? <laughs> Unbeknownst to me. And she said, yeah, they're in a picture in my bedroom, Gans and Pa, which are her great-great-grandparents um, on my side of the family, which was really beautiful. But the point I uh, make is just, to me, that was empathy. That was empathy through a kid, you know, hearing that someone had a, a, an absolutely tragic experience and not being afraid to lean into it and and say a few words. And I think, um, you know, it's worth crediting Brene Brown here for a minute, but I know that uh, she's kind of coined the phrase empathy misses. And we can get it wrong a lot. I think, you know, people try to connect and try to relate with empathy, but we might not always have the right words. And I think one of the reasons that people try and do this is or, or fail to do it well um, and is the fear and the overthinking in some way because we go, I don't know what that feels like. I don't know what it feels like to lose a brother in a war. One, I don't have a brother. And two, I haven't been exposed to that kind of environment. So I couldn't possibly know how it feels. But that's where we get it wrong because Empathy is not connecting to the experience. Empathy is connecting to the emotion that underpins the experience. So, for an example, when you and I had Chloe and we were in hospital uh, with a premature baby, people who had had kids in NICU were, were easy. They, they knew exactly what to say, how to say it. But people who had never had that experience, they kind of, a, a few of them, uh, they tried, but I would say there was some pretty good empathy misses back then, what people said and often didn't say. People wouldn't say anything at the fear that they've said the wrong thing. But often, actually not saying anything all, at all is the empathy miss. Um, and knowing that if you get it wrong, it's not a one-time wonder. Like you, you come back and you go, you know what, you shared something with me yesterday that was really big for you and I just didn't respond in the way that I should have and I'm sorry. That was really important and I thank okay. you for sharing that. <laughs> That's you and me all the time. Uh, but I, you know what I mean? Like I think, it's, I think people get so scared. They're like, oh, I didn't respond or I said the wrong thing. Well, guess what? 
go back and have another conversation. Like it's not over. It's okay to clean it up. It's okay yes. to circle back. And in fact, it's not just okay. It's really critical. Um, I think the, that. I think yeah. on that too, sorry to um, stop that train of thought, but I, I, maybe we can talk as well about what empathy misses are and, mm, and mm. you know, kind of what they look like. I, I remember sort of my first other, uh, I, I mean, I've, I've missed with empathy more than I've hit in my life and, and I probably will be in a deficit for as long as I for as long as I'm above the ground. Especially um, with that especially with that attitude. <laughs> yes, maybe. <laughs> also maybe just being real. Um the you know, we, we talk about Chloe in hospital. Like I have a quite a vivid memory after, you know, we we went home um or we were on the way home and we stopped by after being discharged from, you know, kind of the Chloe was still in hospital. We were on the way home and, and we went by baby bunting, you know, yeah, to it was get day five, day five. So day that was five. the day I was, I was discharged from hospital and yes. it would be the first day that we'd have to leave the hospital to come home and be apart from her. And that was yeah. one of the hardest days of my life or both of yes. ours. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember walking into baby bunting and we, we, you know, we bought a whole lot of baby stuff and, and one of the things was um, I, I think a, a double breast pump, if, if my memory serves me correctly. To it get was that. The, higher, the highest end pump you could get because I needed to express at least eight times a day. I'd have yeah. to put my alarm on at night time to wake up through the middle of the night to express. Yeah. yeah, to give her one meal every two hours so that she could vomit it up every eight hours and start again. And the the expression "no use crying over spilt milk" has never been more real than than sort of seeing how labour intensive it is to to get milk, especially if it's not coming particularly quickly. Um, and and uh, and then you know spilling it at, at a different stage as well. But that that's you know while that was a really hard time and an interesting story, um, probably not. If we just circle back that when we go into baby bunting and and we're in that section the and for whatever attendant. reason yeah it was at the sales attendant I, yeah i was about to blame it on some shopper but let's go with the sales attendant and it's sort of like what are you after what are you looking for and we said oh we want this and it's like oh you know i don't know how it came up but then yeah our baby's you know still in hospital and i remember she put her hand on her heart she said oh i am so like I, i've all my babies have come home or, or something to that effect. I am so lucky. And I remember just having this reaction inside of me and being like, well, we feel like we're lucky too. Our baby survived the birth. She's doing really well now. It's going to be a long journey ahead. But who says that we're not lucky? And I, I know that, like I understand now that that is the, the definition of an empathy miss because she didn't necessarily mean that mm-hmm. we weren't lucky. But for her view, she was luckier than us if you like and then wasn't able maybe to bridge the gap in that moment to provide whatever you know whatever validation or support there but instead just turned it internally and being like oh my god I'm so yeah I'm so lucky and um yeah and anyway that's my butchered version of what no not at all not at all and but is that is the prime example where she did not consider the thoughts or the emotions of the other person at all. Um, and this happens so often. You know, I think some other empathy misses, and this one happens a lot. There's an incredible little video if you um, go and type in It's Not About the Nail, um, but it's a great video around how we try and fix things. Um, and without being too sexist here or generalist, this can often be a male-to-female perspective at times. Um really? 
yeah, we don't need to watch it now, but um, it is the, you know, the perspective of sometimes people just want to share. They just want to get it off their chest. They just want to talk, but we can go into fix it mode so often. Oh, well, what, this is what you need to do. This is what you should do. Or what I would do is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm just asking for you to listen. I don't need you to tell me what to do. And I think that's a good one. Like actually that was something you and I learned pretty early on. I think it's quite a practical tip for people um, because this used to be a challenge for us, amazing, a, a really major challenge, I think. And I remember, I don't know where we got it from, but you started to say to me, when I'd start, you know, expressing and talking, not expressing the milk, you know, expressing my feelings and expressing my thoughts. And you'd say, shares, what is it you need from me right now? Would you like a solution or do you just want me to listen? And you'd say it in a calm voice, not in a, what do you want from me right now? What is it? <laughs> like, it was not that kind of perspective. It really was like, what would you like from me? How can I help? And that is probably from a practical perspective, whether that's partner, whether that's in leadership, to me, that is a game changer question because sometimes actually you are stuck and you go, you know what, I, I actually need an idea because I'm just in this negative loop in my own mind right now and I can't get out. Or, you know what, I just need to get this out and I've just got to get it off my chest, get it off my desk. Um, and thanks Taylor Swift in my head, um, you know, but just do that and get it out so that then it's, I just can get it off. So does that, um, do you, what do you think? Now I'm just distracted. I can't believe I just sung Taylor Swift. And so I'm um, ruminating on that. But what are your Lavender thoughts? Lavender Haze is the song that you're referring to. <laughs> um, I feel. Yeah, you're totally right. And look, to be honest, maybe that re unintentional revelation of, of the what do you need from me right now came from oh, probably just years of frustration in terms of, being like you have a nail in the middle of your head, I know how to fix it. Why don't you listen to me fix it for you? And yeah. then sort of understanding maybe through some other work we were doing as well just to understand that maybe it's not about fixing it, maybe it's about listening mm. and, you know, just kind of giving a safe space to vent and mm. and whatnot. And I think now looking back on that, that was a oh, probably – elevated in time our relationship to another level where we can have that efficiency of candor and yeah. you know maybe not every relationship out there has that and we were you know kind of we, we've worked hard to to get that and, and we don't always nail it um you know pardon the pun but uh that, that was one in particular that that we used and we still implement now where it's a little bit like i just you know and it might even come from me where i come back and i'm like look i just need to vent i'm not after solutions mm. i don't need coaching i don't need questions i just need to say what i say and then it'll get me to where i need to go because i think then you know, the real power is when the revelation comes from the person themselves as opposed yeah. to someone else telling them. Because I think when most people start talking, it's like they, especially if there's a particular problem that they're coming with or a particular challenge that they're coming with, when most people start talking, they they generally have the answer inside of them. And they've yeah. in a way they've they've they're subconscious even if they're not aware of it, they've made a decision as to where they want to go. They just want mm. validation for it. And the best, the easiest part to get to that validation is just to give them a safe space for them and a bit of runway for them to kind of go on and for them to take off and get to. And and the loop, if you will, in terms of the, the listening is just letting them get to that place. It's like a 
for those on the video right now, you can see it's just a circular motion. It's like the, I went here and I went on this entire journey and I got back to the start and now I realize what I need to do. And and for some, it's going to take 10 minutes and for some, it's going to take 10 hours worth of therapy. But but either way, it, it's just part of that cycle and that journey. And I think, you know, in our relationships, if, if we can have the grace to maybe have more candor in that way and, and be able to say, what do you need from me right now? Do you, do you want some solutions or... You know, are you at a, at a? Are you just? Do you just have a blockage out now, and you need some new strategies to get to where you need to go, or do you just want to? Or do you just want me to listen? Then listen. That that can, yeah. you know, fast track that empathy, if you will. A hundred percent, and I think that to me, the beautiful um, solutions and strategies to the fix it, um, trying to be the fixer, empathy miss, uh, beautiful. I think there's a couple others that really jump out and you hear them in the workplace and you hear them in uh, friendships and relationships as well. There's the old story topper. Um, and, you know, I think in some ways our almost seven-year-old was an example of this and she's off the hook because she's seven. Um, but what we will do is um, what we can do as humans is we want to connect. So we want to share, we want someone to know we've had a shared experience or something similar, which on so many levels is really powerful. When people know they're not alone, it's is, is what we need. But sometimes if we're not conscious of it and not aware of the timing or the delivery or the intention behind our story or connection, it can come in like a story topper. So, for example, if someone else had had a preemie baby, for example, like with us or if someone else got made redundant from their job, you could say, hey, Andy, thanks for sharing that you've just made been made redundant. Um, I actually was made redundant last year and, you know, I've been through a lot of it too. So if you ever want to chat about it, I'm here. Great. I'd say that's a full tick, right? Because you're expressing to someone you've had a shared experience, you're there for them. What we can do though is go, oh yeah, well last year on, you know, the 29th of March, 2020, actually, I got a phone call from Flight Centre on the same day as my husband and we were both stood down from our job at Flight Centre and then what happened to us was blah, 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 insert my 20-minute story here. And that is where I think people go wrong is then you just jump in with this unsolicited piece of um information or story which can feel for the other person almost like this story topper or the one-upper um and it's not always ill-intended but it can get in the way and that uh, that happened for us I, I recall a lot I think I probably learned that one when we we're in hospital because you'd have all these people I think trying to connect with you but really what they were doing is just wanting to insert their own story. And at the time I didn't have capacity for it. Um, and so yeah that was a bit of a a, a one. Um, I think Brene, Brene talks about this empathy versus sympathy and how we make that a major miss where connecting on empathy is not feeling sorry for someone. Um, sympathy disconnects and empathy connects. So if we're going, oh, like, oh, that happened to you. Oh, so sorry. Like, sorry to hear about it. And not in a condescending way, but it's almost this um, it is a disconnect. Oh, that's that. Sorry, you have to deal with that. But if you're like, oh, wow, thanks for sharing with me, that would be difficult from a genuine care and curiosity from their perspective. So just getting the difference from sympathy to empathy. Uh, what are a couple of the others? I think one or two is the whole like, um, the shaming. So for example, I, I I can see that I've done this with you in the past and it's not one I'm proud of. Uh, but for example, if you come home, let's say you say, oh, 
you're sharing something vulnerable, you're sharing something difficult. Let's say from past job and years gone by and you're like, oh, you know, I was in this presentation or I was in this meeting and then I did this and I kind of made a mistake and I was really embarrassed. And then if the person, I guess, puts ads to the shame, they're like, what did you? Why weren't you more prepared? Why didn't you do it? And so it just adds then to this shame spiral for the person who had the courage in the beginning to open up about the problem. They've been vulnerable. And then we, we've had an empathy miss because we're like, I can't believe you did that. Um, and so there's a few more and, and I encourage people to have a look and have a read of them, but they're a key couple. And But I do go back to that whole um Empathy is connecting to the emotion that underpins the experience. And I really believe this is an area that we can all work on. And that is emotional literacy. Because if you think about it, like you said, being um, in your household, empathy wasn't necessarily something in most, you know, I'm in my 40s, you're almost there. Um, You know, our parents' generation talking about emotions is not a normal conversation. Um, And I certainly didn't learn about emotional literacy at school. But if you ask most kids now, what are they learning in school? Do they have um, breathing and mindfulness? Do they talk about the emotion monster and what feeling are you feeling today? They absolutely are learning this. You know, I remember when Chloe was in kindergarten and one of the things at check-in in the morning, they'd hang up the bag, fill up their water bottle, and then they'd pull out the colour from the jar that represents how they're feeling today. And that was normal behavior. But in our world, um, you know, anyone who's in the workplace now, that was not necessarily how we spoke in our upbringing. So to say to connect to an emotion that someone's experiencing, the, the I guess the challenge for us to, to be good with empathy is we need to know what emotions are. Because we do this quiz when, I, when we talk about empathy and I um, do this little quiz with people. I say you've got a minute to write down in groups, so the power of more more brain power in the group. Write as many emotions as you can in one minute, and or maybe ninety seconds, whatever it is. And people come up with about twenty, and it's fascinating because they're like, "Oh, we're kind of stuck now." You get the big ones, like if you know the movie uh, Inside Out. What are the five emotions in Inside Out, Andy? Joy, sadness, anger, fear, and disgust yeah that face disgust yeah so they're the five what um like uh the dalai lama did some work with a man called dr paul Exman, and they basically came up with the atlas of emotions and if you think about an atlas it's got continents and those five you've just listed are the five continents of emotion and so every other emotion we experience as a human comes in under one of those five but then if we're angry do we just go I feel angry. Like, is there not a more nuanced, um, appropriate word that we could use? For a five-year-old, angry, sad, happy is fine. But for adults, like, we need to be able to nuance those words. And I I do just think understanding the meanings of these words is phenomenal. Like, even the word um, jealousy and envy. Like, we use, oh, I'm so jealous. People, people, oh, I'm gel, hashtag jealous, whatever. Like, what what is jealousy versus empathy, uh, envy? Do you know the difference? I'm just putting on the spot here. Jealousy versus envy. Because mm. I reckon people use these words all the time. Normal words, right? Oh, I'm so envious. I'm so jealous. Uh, no, I don't. Yeah. Well, neither do I. But um, 
No, I'm only kidding. Thanks for on that note. Yeah, on that note, let's wrap up. No, but my point is, right, we use these words as humans, as adults, but we don't actually know the definition of them. So how can we truly, and to go back to the difference of those two as a prime example, jealousy is when something between two people is um, there's risk of it being removed or changed. So, for example, um, I could be jealous of the time you're spending with the dog because now it's getting in the way of our relationship or I'm jealous of the amount of uh, golf you might play because then that gets in in the way of our um, time we spend together. But envious is not about what you have or what might um, impact the relationship that we already have. Envious is something someone else has that you desire that you don't already have, whereas jealousy is almost the fear of something going. So I'm envious of that car that that person has, or I'm envious of um, the holidays that they go on, but I'm not jealous of their holiday because I didn't have that to begin with. Does that make sense? It does make sense. I heard on a podcast the other day that Envy is two people were talking and one person has a coach and he was saying how envy, his coach was saying to him, envy is only allowed, you can only have envy if you if you envy all of it, if you want all of it. So you can't just, you look at someone who's a billionaire and you look at their life, for example, and you can't just envy that one boat the money, or that one yeah. car or the money, you know, um, you have to envy all of it that it took to get there, the highs, the lows, the struggles, the marriage breakdowns, the, you know, the trauma, the whatever it may be. And mm, and I thought that was valid. a that was a, a good way of looking at envy because I think it's easy to um peer over the fence and be like, oh, that looks nice. Um, but you know, it's not always um unless you're willing to go all of it. Um, it's a good litmus test as to as to what that looks like. So yeah, it is. And and I guess I use the jealousy and envy, not because it's necessarily something we always talk, um, talk about in the workplace, but it's just uh, signifying to us emotional literacy. They're words we use all the time, yet do we actually use them correctly? Now, I'm not about to walk around and listen to people's accurate use of those two words and give them feedback. Like, it's not about that, but it's about us going, if we truly want to be able to um, show empathy towards someone, to connect to an emotion, then we need to know what our emotions are. And if I go back to maybe us having um, Chloe in the hospital, uh, one of the things I would often say to people is, you know, well, if you connect to things like fear and hopelessness, um, think about the one time in your life where you felt so hopeless and so uncertain. That's what you connect to. They might not have been into a, a NICU before, but they everyone's going to have the one time in their life where they felt really helpless. So connect to that emotion and that might be a little insight into what I'm feeling and experiencing. Um, the beautiful reference that I would say to people, if you if someone wants to learn more from this emotional literacy, uh, there's two books that I, I highly recommend. I just think they're phenomenal. One is like a guide and a bit more like a, a dictionary, if you like, and that is Brene Brown's Atlas of the Heart. And that's where that empathy, uh, envy, jealousy thing came up for me when I was reading that. So Atlas of the Heart is brilliant and she's got a TV show on it as well. And the other one, um, and another absolute expert, I think I, I love following her work and she just talks about this space, is a lady called Dr. Susan David. So she's got a book called Emotional Agility and they both speak about emotional literacy. So, yeah, I, I mean, this is definitely work, you know, that we put into our EQ sessions and, and our workshops with our clients as well. 
But if somebody's um, not in one of the workshops right now and they want to learn something that they can, then, yeah, th- those two books um, I, I highly recommend. They're really great resources. And I guess just looping back, you know, we talked about cognitive empathy and tactical empathy, then there's emotional empathy, and then there's empathic concern. Um, And I do want to say, because I think we mentioned earlier, I just want to kind of clarify something that it's not necessarily stages. So it's not like, oh, I get to the third one and now like I'm an empathy expert. I think at some stage, I guess you could say that's the depth of how you can experience empathy. But I would also say here that it's... um, tactically you want to apply the empathy in the right place so for an example um if you're in a workplace it may not serve you and your team to be having empathic concern all the time empathic concern is the one for example where you feel the pain for someone and then you act on it so in the case of our friends with that tragic news i i would say that's how i'm feeling right now is like well how can i help them and i and intentionally trying to help our friends through that. But if you did that every single time anyone in the workplace had a a challenge, then that would be very draining. You'd have no time left for yourself and it wouldn't be the healthy option. So I think it's, it's recognizing there is a time and a place for different levels, but first just think, how is this for that person and how can I support them? What do they need? Um, and genuinely just taking our own blinkers of our own life off and being there for that person in front of us, getting curious, asking more questions, seek to understand. Yeah, beautiful. I love that. Maybe another podcast that we do is another time of how to thread the needle um, between, between you know, kind of those layers of empathy and and levels of empathy and empathic concern as well as threading the needle through to, you know, Work, workplace related things like outcomes and you know whatnot um do you do you have an example yeah. maybe i'll put you on the spot a little bit there but when you say thread the needle can you just be a little bit more clear with me exactly what you mean yeah sure like i sort of see the two sides of the same coin if you will but they're they're facing different ways so there's the we need to achieve x y and z in the workplace mm. um so when people come to the workplace with their you know, with their challenges or, or whatever, then as a, a whole brain leader, as we talked about, that we want to have, you know, different levels of empathy for them and empathy for what they're going through, but then also mm. be mindful that their We need job, outcomes. Yeah, we need outcomes and their performance requires X, Y, and Z in order to do that and to achieve that. Mm. So how do we how do we best navigate that? Yeah, well... I think this is that whole head and heart leadership combined, isn't it? Like recognizing that we do need outcomes where we're here to run businesses, we're here to get outcomes and to achieve those outcomes, we need our people to be productive. So to ignore anything that might be going on for people would be foolish because it impacts them, but to not address it and not discuss it won't necessarily help us move forward either. I think this is a real case-by-case scenario because then when you open up to mental health, it's a whole nother conversation as well because there's a lot of... There's a lot at risk there and it's important and um, that we have the right conversations. I feel like my basic answer is getting clear on expectations. What do you need to see? What outcomes do we want to see? And when do we need them delivered? And how do we want them delivered? And by the how, I mean in the sense of the values of the behaviours, someone will then achieve that outcome. 
if we make that crystal clear, and I don't just mean like, well, this is how I've always done it. So people will just get it. It's literally having those planning days. And and we've been part of these so many times, um, helping teams set up their values, helping teams set up their um, ways of working and their above and below the line expectations, their non-negotiables, all of these things where a team comes together and agrees to the way they need to act and behave to achieve the outcome. First, that needs to be layered. Um, So often we go into having feedback conversations and we go into um, having accountability, but we haven't really been that clear with the expectations. We get frustrated and frustration is truly only unmet expectation. And then if we ask ourselves, well, how clear have my expectations been? Is it, is it in my mind clear or is it in the other person's uh, mind clear? So I think that first. And then once that's set and things aren't running to plan and there's issues or there's challenges, it is genuinely sitting down and asking someone, how are you going? What's going on? Because, um, you know, I, I, help me understand. We've got outcome X. Right now we've hit Y. Can you help me understand where the gap is or can you help me understand what's missing or what's going on for you for the reason that we didn't hit that goal or that outcome because I'm here to support you and we need to find a way forward. And sometimes it can be, and this is where it's just so situational, right, but it's genuinely asking because for some people it might be, you know what, I've just had a week from hell and I just need to have a sleep in tomorrow and come to work later. If I have that reset, it's enough for me. Great, easy done. For others, it may be they've got something going on with their family or they're caring for someone or they're under stress in some way. Okay, so what can we do? Maybe that means they're working from home one extra day a week and that's going to take their edge off and that will be enough. And sometimes it may be that we need to recommend professional support because we what, what they need in the workplace is goes beyond what we can offer as leaders because we're not psychologists. Um, we don't want to try to be because that is a dangerous place to play too unless you, of course, are a psychologist. Um, so I do think set the expectations first and getting people's opinion. Not being afraid to give the feedback though, I think um, – We talked earlier about candor. Uh, You know, I love the radical candor two by two. Radical candor being you care personally and you challenge directly. In my mind, that's where we should all sit. We definitely don't. Um, But we, we challenge directly. We call things for what they are, but we care. So with the care, as we think about the timing, we ask considerate questions. We loop back. We check in. They're also acts of empathy because it's not just, oh, on my to-do list today, I need to tell Andy he just needs to pull his head in. And then I have that conversation. I tick it off my list and I carry on. But of course, that's not how we need to do it. Um, It's about, okay, I need to check in with Andy. And then maybe tomorrow I need to check in on the Um, check-in. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a that's a really good point because I think that that part maybe sometimes get lost, especially if you're of the task-orientated nature, you know, where you're just like, I've got a list and I just want to go hard. And, And when it comes to people... You know, you're kind of sitting across from someone, maybe you're having your monthly kind of performance catch up or, or just a general check in that happens, I don't know, every two months or something like that. If and and you've got a list of things maybe that, you know, from a performance standpoint need to be discussed or from a work standpoint and updates they need to be discussed. And you're walking across from that person and it's just for whatever reason, you can tell it's just not their day, you mm. know, and then I think it's that it empathy is sort of in in a way realizing that and and being like, you know what, like we're not gonna 
we're not going to go through that today. We're not going to talk about mm. those things today. We'll, we'll leave that for another day, um, you know, when, when they're a little bit more on. I think even maybe to finish us off today, you I remember you had a beautiful story about um, you had one of your old old leaders and old mentors to this day to kind of drive up to the Sunshine Coast one day to, oh, you know, kind of yeah. give feedback on a particular role that you went for um, and maybe some things that came out of that. Would you Would you mind sharing that? Yeah, I think you've probably just um, taken half of it actually. But, yes, I do remember that absolutely because um, I was at Flight Centre at the time. I'd applied for a promotion. I was unsuccessful. And um, my leader's leader's leader, I think, like two or three above me, my beautiful mentor who's also a podcast guest um, and beautiful friend Rachel O'Brien, she was the leader at the time. And I remember that she called and um, she was coming up with my direct leader to give me feedback on why I um, was unsuccessful, which, you know, you've got to swallow a bit of ego and pride with those moments, don't you? Because it's they're not telling you the things they love about you. They're telling you what what was missing and why you didn't get the role. And I'll never forget it. I was sitting at Caloundra in a shopping centre there and my chin must have just starting to quiver like I'm about to burst into tears. And um, and she noticed probably, you know, a bit fidgety or my neck was getting a bit red or whatever, but I think the chin was the giveaway for sure. And she looked over at me and she like she'd driven from Brisbane to be there to give me this feedback directly and, and she just said, do you want to hear this today? And I'll never forget that, you know, that was that was 2007 that happened and I still remember that moment because I was just so flawed that she cared enough to actually notice and then ask me and it was a bit inconvenient because she'd driven all the way and, you know, in in true honesty I said to her, I don't think I am, like I don't think it's going to sink in today. And, you know, behind the scenes my first marriage was falling apart. I was really not in a good headspace. So that kind of hit or rejection or whatever you want to call it at the time plus that I just – I just couldn't take it um, in that moment. And I'll, I will always be grateful for that empathy and that awareness. And, um, you know, just to round out the story, next time I applied, I got the job and, and all was well. But it really was, yeah, that was an incredible act of empathy and connecting to the person in front of you. And, yeah, big shout out to that amazing human who constantly seems to be in all those moments of my life for me. So, yeah, very grateful. Um, but you know what, I think if we go back, just to round it out and some of your examples there too is empathy is a skill and it's not an easy skill. It's a vulnerable skill and it because of that vulnerability that we're exposing ourselves to emotional risk and that is not easy for everyone, that is not comfortable, that doesn't always go to plan. But if we truly care about the relationships in our life, being in our work or in our personal lives, or for some of us that's a combined, <laughs> um, if we truly care about the people in our lives, then it's a risk that we've really got to take. And if you get it wrong, it's okay. Just loop back, clean up the mess and try again. Uh, but when we can walk around in life and, God, we said we're going to finish and now I'm going to open this can of worms, but I'll say it and then I'll wrap it. But, you know, the um, the referendum just recently occurred and and it's just that if we could walk around with a perspective of things that are not just about ourselves and be considering other people's feelings and other people's perspectives, if we could be doing that in every element of our life, I truly believe the world we live in will be a better place. And this is a skill that will change the world, but it, it it's going to take some time and it's going to take some commitment to just being better humans. 
Yeah, very well put. Very, very well put. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for leading us, leading this way for us on on empathy and certainly introducing the nuts and bolts of it to my life, um, you know, from when we first met and and got together and I understand my deficiency there. It's like a nutritional <laughs> deficiency, if you will, and and, and how I've learned to um, uh, apply it and learned to look for the cues first of all and now, you know, it, it comes naturally. But it does it does take work. It absolutely does take work, but it's a worthwhile endeavour because it's how it's how the world receives you and it's how you you put out and you communicate to the world. So, thank mm, you keep, for the impact. Keep putting you're out, Andy. Keep putting out <laughs> empathy to the world. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. I appreciate those kind words, and thank you. Uh, thank you. And wish- keep working on your um, T Swift lavender haze as well. So, um, until <laughs> next time. <laughs> Oh, I just want to sing. Oh, cut me off before I do. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in and go and lead with empathy and courage. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on the Lead with Courage podcast. We illuminate leadership and it's our mission to inspire and grow the leaders of today to create a better tomorrow. We hope and trust that this episode has given you some insights and joy to empower you to live your biggest, best life. If you did enjoy the episode, we'd be so grateful for you to rate and share wherever you listen to this podcast. And until next time, go and lead with courage. Illuminate Leadership is not a licensed mental health service or a substitute for professional mental health advice, treatment or assessment. Any conversation in this podcast is general in nature. And if you're struggling, please see a healthcare professional or call Lifeline on 131114.